0: You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan so I'm joined this afternoon by Pat Rowe and John Townley. I'm kind of going to go through our kind of thoughts on Brighton and then, like I said, look ahead to Southampton as well. Um, just before we started, John, you were kind of getting yourself set up and ready, walking around what sounds like a big room. So I know work from home isn't a novelty anymore, but I'm interested. Where, where are you? Is that a bedroom? Is it a living room? It seems like right. a big room to me.
1: I am in my bedroom. I think it's just a lot of empty space. It's probably just like lot of echoes, mm. Yeah,
0: you walked off to get something or turn the light <laughs> off and you were gone for like 10 right. minutes <laughs> in the same room. Uh, Pat, where are you? Is that a living room or a dining oh, room? i have, I've
2: a desk in my bedroom where I usually work from, but that's got lighting issues for the podcast that mm. we found so frequently. So I go in the dining room for the podcasts.
0: Lovely. And now that I've heard that you've got some building work I mean, this is it, relevant yeah, to the podcast, yeah. but some building work going on. So if there's yeah. any noise, that's what you can hear. I um redone. Let's talk Let's talk about Brighton then. Um, obviously, I've done a podcast with Ash on the match day itself, so forgive us if we're going over uh, topics we've already talked about before. But you two haven't spoken on air about this since the win, so Pat, will come to you first. Just your, your general reaction to Villa winning a game?
2: It felt good, didn't it? It was, a, it was a breath of fresh air and a relief at the same time, wasn't it? Uh, it just felt like we went back to basics. It was reminiscent of the Palace game, wasn't it? The first Brighton game. I think we should just play Brighton every week, to be honest. it be all right. <laughs> would be no panic anywhere. You know, One week we're talking about possible relegation scrap, and now what, a, people are looking back up the top of the table, aren't they? So, looking forward, not backwards. But, yeah, it was just a solid defensive performance. Sat back, didn't we? We didn't have much of possession, but that was always going to be the case against Brighton. and took our chances well. Watkins, good to get back on the uh, score sheet and just loads of positives to take from it, wasn't it? Solid performance. I think it had to be against the Brighton team that, a kind of renowned
1: just to get one one draws most weeks. Um yeah, back to basics. Change of formation as well. Obviously having the two uh, strikes up front, two hard working strikes and Watkins Watkins and Ings up top. Um yeah, but positive performance. I don't think there's don't want to be negative, but I don't think there's too much you can take from it. I think it's good for confidence. Um yeah. going into games against like Southampton's and I don't know like Wolves and Arsenal in the next few weeks as well. Um they gonna be a completely different games. So I think Gerard's gonna have to be quite flexible over the coming weeks um to kind of keep that momentum going. But no positive result, and you so say I think we take take the chances we took the chance as well, sorry, that we had because I think it would have probably been a very different game if Cash doesn't score inside the first, you know, 30 minutes and we don't get a second goal. Um, you know, a very good time in the second half as well, um, to sort mm-hmm. of double your advantage. So um yeah, positive uh, result more so than performance, I would. Probably suggest.
0: The two nines versus the two tens, I guess, from previous mm-hmm. weeks. We've talked all season about Watkins and Ings not working as a duo. And then we switch to a formation that gets them both playing there together and we win. Now, Watkins does score, but doesn't have a great game. Dan Ings doesn't really do anything. So I don't want to talk specifically about the 11 just yet. But what do you do in regards to formation? Do you stick with those two and the two nines? Or do you kind of think we're wasting or sat on the bench?
2: It's a temperamental thing at the moment, isn't it? If it's not broke, I don't know if we uh, try and fix it. But uh, as you said, Watkins and Ings, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Like There's games where you think, oh, we've been terrible, we've done nothing. But Watkins get on the score sheet, that's just a positive you can have to take from then playing together. You've got to probably say, OK, maybe they can. So it's still not clear if it can happen like completely together at the moment, but I wouldn't be changing anything ahead of this Southampton game. I thought the midfield looked a lot more balanced with those two ahead of them and Coutinho slotting in between. It's a shame that Buendia got dropped, to be honest. I think in, in the poor performance we've had as a team in recent weeks, I think Buendia's been a bright spark throughout. I think he had like four key passes against uh, Watford. So the only real bright spark there. But he dropped out and obviously you can going to have to play Coutinho on it. It's Coutinho, so you can't not play him. But, um, and I can't see Gerald dropping him either. So yeah, I wouldn't make any changes, I think. It's going to be a difficult test this weekend. It could be similar to this, uh, the Brighton game, to be honest. I don't know if we'll dominate the ball this weekend, so it could be a very, it could unfold in the same way that. Um... The Brighton game didn't, like John said, if we score early, the maybe we can just hold out with a solid defensive
0: performance. Well, let's hope it's not like the reverse Southampton fixture. That was great. Yeah, yeah, um, was the, awesome. fullback, the, the full-backs were deeper against Brighton. Now, obviously, there's yeah. been a lot of talk about full-backs bombing forward in Gerard's system and, I mean, Castor's score. So, it kind of seems counterintuitive to say that they were a little bit further back when he was the goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much do you think that affected the win, Pat?
2: It seemed like they were just a lot deeper in like the build-up play as well, so there was more people, like, a, a bigger, a better option for like Mings or Kanza to look to, or Emi Martinez to look to from the back, and we could just build up a bit uh, more balance, in a more balanced way. Um, in terms of cash getting forward, I, a lot, I don't know what the actual of it is, or but I'd like to see where Digne was at uh, Dean was at that point in time because it felt like against Watford they were both just bombing forward and we were getting caught on the counter attack. Be interesting to see if like Dean was back while Cash was going forward, and they were kind of operating on that steering wheel I was on about in the last uh um, yeah. preview to that one. But yeah, it just—I think someone posted the heat maps of the individual players as well, and it just showed that like predominantly both of them were in their own uh, in the, in our half. So I think they were a lot deeper. It gave us a lot more cover, and also meant that the likes of Ramsey was in a, a better position going forward. He wasn't covering for them. McGinn was back to his best as well, I thought. And I think his average yeah. position was closer to cash and like was a bit deeper. So he was offering the defensive support and I thought, yeah, he was back to his best completely. Like the tenacity he usually brings going forward, picking passes, dribbling out of uh, difficult situations, just relieving pressure, to be honest. But yeah, I thought we were a lot more comfortable in possession and a lot of that was because the uh, full were deeper and there was uh, more more options for us to look at. Yeah, I think... You kind of need to
1: take it a little, a little bit into account that obviously we've gone a goal up against the Brighton team that just said don't score many goals. I think if that's a Leeds or a different team that's probably going to come at you throughout the game um, and leave open space, then you probably would see a cash or Dean stay higher and there'll probably be more space between um, the midfield as well, just you know for counter-attacking purposes. Um, but no, I think, again, think it's just the game plan against Brighton that worked really well. Um, I echo everything that Pat said, I think, for that game specifically. You know, we execute it really well and you come away with a 2-0 win, uh, which not many teams do to be fair. As I say against Brighton, who draw many games. Um and we're taking six points off them as well. And I don't know if there'll be another team that do that this season, maybe Liverpool and Bright uh, sorry, Man City. Um so Gerard's done grandpa twice really. Uh but again against so the teams, I think you'll be seeing a different sort of style, a different um game plan, obviously. But I think Gerrard just sticking to that 4-3-3 in the first maybe two months, even three months, um, of his tenure so far, I think. I don't know, I think being more flexible has definitely helped in the last couple of weeks. I think we've seen this, yeah. um Well, say last couple of weeks, in the last game, sorry, but in the weeks going forward, being more adaptable. Um, for example, against Southampton, I, I might want to see Megan maybe sit deeper and be that assurance with Louise. So you've got to um, sort of, you know, mitigating that ball between Ward Prowse or Romeo to the two uh, front players. Um, because we have so much quality going forward in a Wendy, Bailey, Coutinho and Ramsey or Watkins and Ings. You almost let them do their thing. And I'm I'll be the first one to say I want John McGinn to be bombing forward. But in a game against Southampton, you you know, looking at how we were in that 4-3-3, we were very open in terms of spaces between the midfielders and against Southampton who are going to flood the middle of the park. I think that'll be a be a problem for us. So I'd like to see us be more conservative like we were against Brighton then again, at home, you're always going to have opportunities to break with the ball and use the ball in the final third. And when you've got so much quality, as so I say, I think you're going to you know, get plenty of chances to score goals. It's about more con- uh, stopping them at the other end, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I'm not quite sure where I'll stand on it, to be honest, because you see a lot of things from kind of ex-pros and high-end players talk about, you know, these, these elite managers will play the same way, no matter what, set up to play their game against the opposition and not kind of take, take the opposition into account. Yeah. I think at a lower level, and not obviously we're still in the Premier League, but we're not on elite side. You do have to yeah. adapt to the size that you're playing, and it's it kind it of borderlines lead, on it? No, well, yeah, it, exactly. It, it kind of on stubbornness, doesn't it? If you're not yeah. willing to change it for a certain opponent, now, just because we won with a with two nines playing against Brighton, if we do go back to the two tens against South uh, against Southampton and we win that game. We'll be talking next week about, oh, which formation's best best, A or B, but they both worked in different situations, didn't they? And you have to have that flexibility to, to bring success, I think.
2: Just speaking about Southampton, I think my um, like, main like, point of their like attack and their, the way they play, is just the, their ability to apply, apply a press. I think they're fourth in uh, presses in the attacking third. Uh, 232 high turnovers, which is like turnovers within 40 metres of the opponent's goal. 45 of those lead to shots, which is second in the Premier League. Third for pressures in midfield. Fourth in the attacking third, and fourth in success rate. So I think I'm not as much worried about what's going to happen in like the front four or front three or whatever. But I think we should stick with the same system at the back, which is the uh, like Dean and Cash dropping a bit deeper, McGinn being there to receive the ball as well, Louise being there to receive the ball. Because I have a feeling as we try and build it from the back, they're just going to press us relentlessly. Like Shay Adams, I think Broe. Uh, then they've got the midfield of Ward, Prowse and Romeo, They're just going to be running relentlessly as well. So I think it's important. I, I don't know what he's going to do with the, if he'll stick with the two up top or go with Watkins on form, Coutinho and Buendia, if they come back in. But for me, it'd be the back five, which is more important. And then like the midfield dropping deep to come and relieve the pressure a bit. Because if they pin us in, I think they obviously, they turn it into shots. So that's probably where they're going to, Looks to punish
0: us. Just on Southampton, they're playing West Ham tonight in the FA Cup. Do you think that will be any kind of factor to play? Obviously, we've not playing a, a midweek game, which is annoying in some sort of, in some aspects from, from a fan perspective. I would quite like to still be in the FA Cup yeah. at this point. Obviously, watching Middlesbrough last night, kind of play our our route to the final, if, if you like, with them beating our opponents, Man United, and beating Spurs last night. I watched that. I think oh, I'd love to still be in the FA Cup, uh, but obviously, no midweek out for, midweek game for us. There is one for Southampton, John. Is that going to be a factor, do you think, in terms of fitness and and match sharpness and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, it will, because they're playing a game in midweek, I suppose. But I do think that, you know, and of of how much will that affect the game on Saturday? Probably not too much. But, yeah, I I guess they're going to have players that are going to be uh, running more, training less through the week, I suppose. Um, But I I, I wouldn't take too much into account. I think, I don't know how much... um, Southampton are going for the FA Cup. How much changes they've made previously in the uh, other rounds, but I presume you probably play probably your strongest team now, um, at this sort of later stage in the competition. Uh, but we know Southampton don't change their team too much, um, in the Premier League. It seems to use the same sort of tactics as well, Hassan Hill, in every game. I think there was a report that said or found out that they always got substitutions, or no, a player would yeah, always go down injured, didn't
2: they, or something? Yeah, yeah
1: like around the hour mark. Um, which seems to be quite fishy. So, um, they've got their ploys and their strategies to kind of maximise that their players' um, fitness or energy levels. So um, he's probably got it all planned out. And me commenting commenting on it probably is a bit irrelevant considering they've got all those plans <laughs> going on. Um, no, I, yeah, I think we're quite 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 a fit bunch as well now. Since Jared's come in, that was one of the first demands that he asked of his players to get to get much fitter, and I think that's starting to show too. And grinding out results, like we did against Brighton. Um if we're gonna to continue to do that throughout the season then you've got to stay um fit throughout the game and mentally fit as well. And that's what Southampton have done in the last like ten games, losing like once, yeah. I think. Um and scoring plenty of goals as well. So
0: I actually quite like that thing Southampton do when they have a player go down injured to go have a little reset and a drinks break or whatever. Like some people look at that and go, it's kinda of cheating or whatever, but no rules same. against it. I mean <laughs> Having well, said that, if we're 1-0 if we're down at that point on the hour mark, the mark and they're doing it there and someone's flying an injury, are we going, oh, get him off, get him off? Your thoughts, Pat, on Southampton? They're, they're danger, man, I guess, or they're, they're the areas that we should be um, concerned about them exploiting us.
2: Yeah, uh, in terms of their FA Cup game tonight, I just thought, I just want to see their bur- uh, their bubble burst a bit, to be honest. I think, what is it, undefeated in the last six games or what, like 10 I'm times undefeated. or one, one yeah. And then they're looking for a third win in a row in the Premier League and they love coming to Villa Park for some. <laughs> I think they're undefeated in the last, six. last win in 2004 for Villa. So yeah, I was in year two, year six. I didn't think I got glasses until year three, so I was just walking around <laughs> blind <laughs> at this point in time. <laughs> um, but yeah, the danger men, which is another bad point, is Shea Adams, ex-Blunos. I can't remember if he scored against us. I've erased all Southampton games from my mind, but probably has. Uh, Bro, yeah, James Ward-Prowse from free kicks. I can't forget that 4-3. That makes me feel sick if he gets a free kick on the edge of the box. But there is a glimmer of hope for us and that is I'm taking my girlfriend and her dad and the last game she went to, it was her first game, was the 3-0 win against Everton. The first game she watched was the 7-2 win against Liverpool. So she's a bit of a good-look charm. So. If anything that's going to break the curse it's this weekend
0: For I, say, I just love that little one minute segment or something i've just given you there because I, I come to you i'm new to it on this podcast because you you do all the reports you got your stats your analysis all this kind of stuff i come to you there Pat, asking about danger men and key areas which you can be concerned about <laughs> i find out that you didn't get glasses till year three you go from going to a second game like pretty much useless information but good good podcast go. material so i'll take that i think most people are kind of consider them to have had a, a pretty good season overall they're, you know, they're kind of on an upward trajectory they've got a good manager a good setup there I was looking for the, the league table just to see their, their results before we came on to this they got 35 points and they're ninth. now they're unbeaten in 5 which kind of will a bit of recency bias there will think oh they're on a good run they're doing well but they're 5 points ahead of Villa which is considering some people would think that Villa have had a pretty rubbish season really and, and aren't really going anywhere five points separating the two teams, potentially two points separating the two teams come come, five o'clock Saturday if, if they're a win. Yeah. Southampton, that much of a concern to be worried about, John?
1: In terms of finishing the top ten, I'd probably say so because I think the next games, are, uh, I don't know them by hand, but I, they play like five games in a row against teams that are all below them, I think, like your Leeds and Norwiches and Watfords, I believe. Um but, yeah, I mean, t- to be fair, I thought they would be in the relegation mix this season when we signed Danny Um And obviously, they had the whole James Wall Prowl situation, which lasted up until the very end of the window as well, if you remember. Um, yeah. So, to be fair, my uh, expectations of them were pretty low. And they sold Vestergaard as well. He was quite good for them last year. Hasn't been so good this year for Leicester. Um, so, I expected them to be right down there. Uh, but, to be fair, they've completely. Um, prove me wrong. I think that I think you said that done in the last month or two, the season's quite seasons changed quite drastically. They were fifteenth, yeah, yeah. fourteenth, but their really good form up until now was um kind of shot them up the league a little bit. Um but again if you look at the fixtures that are coming up as I just say they've got teams that are all below them, but they're probably tricky games now, aren't they in the business end of the season? And if you look at where we were a couple of weeks ago saying our Newcastle <laughs> uh, Saints, Brighton teams that we got Leeds as well coming up soon. Um we were thinking like nine points out of twelve or whatever, and we've had uh, we lost both to Watford and Newcastle. So, you know, who knows? But I think as long as we do our business um, on the pitch, then we'll be okay. Uh, I just think this weekend will be a tough game. To be fair, and I think it'll be probably got a draw written all over
0: it. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Their their next few fixtures are after us: uh, Newcastle, Watford. Burnley and Leeds, and then Chelsea-Arsenal. So there's a bit of a tricky one coming up as well before the season ends. They've got Liverpool Leicester still to play. So, yeah, they'll definitely be in that, in that top 10, I think. And that's probably who we're competing with. But if you beat them this weekend, that, that does change the landscape a little yeah. bit. And, yeah, just it's that expectation of Southampton having a good season. And then you look at it and think, well, it could be two points behind them come Saturday night. Yeah. Like, that's not that good, really. That game you mentioned there, Pat, uh, Southampton last one in 2004. For the people that are watching live, there's a little, little quiz, a little lunchtime quiz. Um, who are the goal scorers now I, we know because we've seen you posted the stats so I know who yeah. it was well, I wasn't there either I was only nine I think I didn't start going properly till kind of 2006 so that game was before my time as well John you're similar age to Pat are you younger as well um,
1: I am I was about to say I, was four, I, I am four years old uh, I'm <laughs> two now um, I would have been four uh, when you we
0: played in. When, what month did we play then hang on a minute you, you're younger than Pat how old are you I'm 98. What? You're 98? Well, that's old. 1998,
2: <laughs> 1998 is the year of born.
0: Yeah. How? Old are you? When were you born, John? I'm 2000.
1: Oh, 2000.
0: That. Bloody hell. Okay. All right. So it's,
1: it's, well, it's easy for me. with the dates, then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if anyone wants to have a guess at that, that would be uh would be nice. Changes to Villa's 11 then. You know, the, the old adage is, don't change. a Winning team. Are we, both, are we both saying that's the case? I think Ash has got his predicted 11. I haven't got it to hand, but I'm pretty sure he's he's gone for an unchanged team. you said that you wouldn't. Yeah. John, are you going to throw a curveball at me? Any changes? The thought
1: of having two strikers up front without too much width at home, does. I don't know, I can just envisage we're in like the 55th minute or 60th minute and it's a bit, I don't know. A bit yeah, it's mainly just a feeling in my head. Um, I would go with the Martinez, Cash, and Mings, uh, Luca Dane. But I would have Douglas Louise sitting with McGinn. Not necessarily sitting, but just being that screen between the midfield and um, Southampton's midfield and attacks, as Pat says. They've got so many turnovers and they're pressing so high. I just think we need more bodies there because we all know what it's like. with Tyrone Mings and Conte just looking forward, trying to play those forward balls. And then it's just Louise kind of hovering in that number six position and there's nothing mm. much going on. I'd have two in there. Jacob Ramsey's a 10, uh, Coutinho on the left and Wendy on the right. Um, bringing Bailey off the bench and Danny Ings off the bench if needed as well with Watkins up front uh, I just think it gives us a bit more um, fluidity about us and Southampton again they're so they come across as if they're doing their homework almost like 24 hours a day I can imagine Hassan Hutt depicting everything that happened in our last game <laughs> um, so yeah I'd change it up a little bit but hey if it's the same team then I think there will be a pretty similar outcome to be fair I think it'd be a very cagey game I'd like to see us try and play with a bit more expansion um, in the wide areas if we can
0: the consensus among the comments seems to be that Dan Ings has to play. So he kind of needs a bit of a run here. So, John, you've yeah. dropped him, so thank, thanks for, for <laughs> segueing into the next segment. Um, surely Ings has to play, says Rob. How many times do old players come back to haunt you? Which is, yeah, that's fair. Josh Kirk oh, says right. Bailey could also come on for Ings, and so then you can stick with the same formation and have Bailey playing up front, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, job, Daniel says, I think Luke needs a run. Uh, appreciate Watkins got a goal, but with Wendy, Coutinho and Bailey, should mean Dan Ings would thrive. And yeah, on paper, that makes sense as it's been a nice little system doesn't it I suppose the one then just to kind of end because we haven't got all day to um, chat about Villa unfortunately the curious case of Morgan Sanson what happens with him uh, we always talk about changes for the team every week we do these graphics saying you know what change would you make and everyone says Sanson 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 we'll do a tweet saying should Sanson start next week and everyone's yes 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 and the same news comes around from Steven Gerrard and he's nowhere near it doesn't even come off the bench um, I don't, I, I don't think not the last game broken, I think. yeah it's the one before he, he, he was struggling. Be yeah, it, it doesn't come on then so how do you assess I don't know whether you two have spoken about this recently how do you assess Morgan Sanson's future at Villa effectively John because if he's not getting game time yeah. he's not going to want to stick around is he
1: yeah and I don't see that changing yeah um, I really like Morgan Sanson, and I think it's a shame that he's just going almost way back to the start. It's a shame that he had those injuries under Smith because back then he was playing most games, and I think he'd be a, um, a consistent feature in the team at the start of this season as well. Um, and then Gerard, we know Gerard likes him. Gerard said, uh asked him actually about him, and he said that he watched him or he played against him when he ran just played a pre season game against Marseille. And he said that he was one of the best players there, and he he basically reassured him when he first came into the club, Gerard, that um, Sanson would be part of his plans and that he's got a future at the club. But he might have a future at the club because it suits Villa to have a player of Morgan Sanson's quality on the bench. But if you're Morgan Sanson, you're not, you are not, you don't want to be on the bench at Villa um, because although we're all saying, oh, we've got a big plan in place, we've big ambitions in five years, maybe we might be in Europe. Morgan Sanson will be like, what, 31 or 32 with probably like 20 more Premier League appearances or something by that time. Um, so it's not really... It's not good for him. He's got a career to chase, and at the moment, we're just a mid table Premier League team. Um, and I'd also argue that I can't see him getting any game time because simply, I don't think he plays number six in terms of what we want. Um, so he's not going to be replacing Douglas Louise or a new uh, defensive midfielder when he comes in in the summer. Uh, he's not going to be displacing John McGinn because that's just not going to happen um, under Stephen Gerrard. Whether fans want to see it or not, it's not going to happen. And then Jacob Ramsey as well is probably one of the first names on the team sheet you need that. Um, Again, Samson can play that role, I think, but Jacob Ramsey's going to play every game. So the midfield just seems so set to me already. Um, so I can't see any game time from there. Again, I think if you look at O'Khani Maker coming off the bench, that makes sense because it's a player that we want to try and tie down to a new contract and offer him game yeah. time and sort of prove um, our promise, should we say. Uh, but with Samson, there's, um, there's a player there that you'd love to have at the club when we're in Europe, for example, in a few years' time, hopefully. Um But you can't just keep him kind of, not like a prisoner, but he is sort of not there, (laughs) isn't he? (laughs) He playing games for any of the, well, not any of the Premier League teams. For most of the Premier League teams, he can be playing in France at probably the highest level as well. Um, So for me, it sounds a bit silly that it would just be sticking around. It doesn't suit him. And to be fair, in the summer, you could probably get a decent fee for him as well. Probably get your money back. So when you got him for, what was it, 15 million? Probably get your money back around that. Um, It's just a shame. I just can't see him. Breaking into the um, first team eleven anytime soon?
0: I'm asking you to join me in speculating here, Pat, with uh, absolutely no insight at all. Uh, Don't go to body more. Don't see the players. Don't know anything. Neither of us do. Mm -hmm. So, from a podcast point of view, this is just us as fans chatting. As here's my maybe an option for what's going on. Potential attitude problem with Sanson, maybe. You know, Stephen Gerald said that he he likes him, then doesn't really get a kick. There's Been two managers now at Villa who have not chosen to play him really. I know he's had his fitness concerns, but still not had the game time. He he probably could. He has been fit for a little bit now and still isn't getting much of a look in. Is that a possibility that there's maybe a bit of a problem there with him as a personality?
2: Yeah. Um, You don't know. There was that moment where he did kick a water bottle or something when he came off, or when he came off against United and then. His face when we were in the Newcastle game when Carney came on ahead of him, and when we needed like a bit of control in the game. Same for Watford. It doesn't look that great, but I can understand him being annoyed at it. Gerard hasn't really revealed anything as he said he likes him, so I can't. I don't know. It would just be speculation saying he's got an attitude problem. And I think it's just unfortunate that his position isn't the holding midfielder, so he isn't really competing with Louise. Although people want to see him there, and I've said I want to see him at least trialed there before last week's yeah. game. He's competing with Jacob Ramsey and John McGinn, and you'd like to think John McGinn is irreplaceable, or in Gerard's eyes, he's irreplaceable. Jacob Ramsey, there's no point dropping him because he's in the form of his career currently. He's getting better every single week, so he's just competing with arguably what, two of the strongest names on the team sheet that probably go first for Gerard. To be honest, yeah, so this is a really difficult situation for him, and. Um, Yeah, I I can't see his future line here, to be honest, if nothing else changes.
0: The very last thing I want to mention, because I know you two have got to go back and do some actual work, Uh, the Villa accounts, John, I'm going to come to you for this, because I've not really looked into it. I know that you've written a piece about it this (laughs) morning. So I don't imagine you're going to have the fullest grasp on this. Just a general overview. Is it good news or bad news?
1: Um, I did study business at A-level, so I'm clearly qualified to talk about this. Uh, No, I think mainly the, the takeaways are that You're looking at two different coronavirus periods. First one being the 2019 accounts, now 2020 accounts, both hit by COVID um, disruptions. So our losses in 2019, as far as I know, were about 100 million. And now they've been uh, reduced to about 36, which is presumably good news. Um, Still 36 million pound of losses. And then our 38 million pounds for losses, sorry. And then our revenue has gone up to 71 million pounds. Uh, sorry, but I can't count that I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, seventy-one million pounds of um of revenues, so that's um good news as far as I'm concerned. Yeah,
0: let's just call It there, I will just enjoy making you squirm a little bit there. Uh, Villa, since we've been doing this podcast, Villa have done a massive article about their plans for the future yeah. and is the north uh, stand
2: redeveloping the north stand. Yeah, Should redevelopment and,
0: plans for the north stand is going to be uh in the works at some point in a city academy at some point um, so yeah more on the Villa website if you want to go and read that and then some analysis of those developments on the Birmingham Live website from John you later I imagine because it looks like you're about to go and do some serious work so I'll let you both go thank you very much for joining me on this podcast right, as great. ever we we'll are back on Saturday evening for a post-match chat about Southampton yeah, definite three points for Aston Villa you heard it here first but thanks for all the comments for joining in as always and uh, we'll see you on Saturday